Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to this third season of On Brand With. The idea behind this podcast has always been to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences and stories of me and my guests. One of the things I've learned over the years is that we all have a story to tell. And over the coming episodes, I'll be chatting to some more people that I know and admire and some that I don't know. And I'll be asking them to share their stories and how they use their personal brands to really make an impact. We'll be exploring what best practice looks like in the real world. So let's begin. Today I am here chatting to Andy Jack of Candle Digital and Andy and I were, well we were introduced I think by our friend Martin Meller. Yeah, I think Um, so. I think it was Martin just before the pandemic and it was interesting because I was on a journey myself on how to bring together an online offering and was well on my way down that journey and then I was introduced to Andy and I just thought why didn't I meet you you know 12 months ago and what really resonated with me and why I've asked Andy to come on today is his his take on training but also that online offering because you're all about the people Andy aren't you? Yeah I think um, people at the centre of any great products um, there's something we talk about right, human-centered design and that's applicable to training to online learning but to, to, to all aspects of great products or marketing so that's certainly something at the core of what we do and one of our key kind of values brilliant well thank you for joining me today so uh I believe this is your first podcast. It is, yes. So be gentle. <laughs> well, they usually go. They usually go in all different directions. But um, the whole premise behind the on brand podcast is that we've all got a story to tell, and for me, that's our personal brand and how we bring that to the fore. And you've got a fabulous brand with the Candle Digital brands. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes, certainly. Well, I guess Candle Digital came from um, trying to scratch an itch, really. We believe that there's a huge amount of potential in online learning that isn't really um, capitalized on. And there's lots there that we can do and lots that that can be done to really um, shift the landscape on how people learn effectively online. So Candle Digital came very much from um, being the light through that process. It's, I think, what a lot of people do is they, when they talk about online learning, their immediate thoughts are around content and technology. And from our perspective, that's often the last things you need to think about. You need to think about the strategy. You need to think about your audience, who's going to be taking the products and um, building around that. So what we try and do is shine the light, which is the candle, (laughs) through that process, which can be quite overwhelming and confusing. So, So, yeah, we've built our brand around that. It's really interesting. So I'm, I'm sat here and my first experience of you, we, we, we had a coffee and then I, I got back um, to the office and a couple of days later, a, a lovely book arrived on my um, desk from you. And it was one of the Daniel Priestley uh, books. 
and um, I'm sat here now in your office and, and across from me is, is a bookshelf full of personal development books. I can see one of my favourites there, Atomic Habits, yeah. James Clear, but I think that always learning that every day is a school day is very much part of you, is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's just, that's in me. I think mm. um, if you ask my wife, I'm just constantly curious. So an example being uh, um, this year, in the last year, I've, put, uh, I've laid a patio in our front garden, which is something completely out of my comfort zone. But YouTube, I've just been very interested in how you do it. And I've been asking people and I think it's, I don't know, I just, I just think life's an adventure and it's just, I like to be kind of curiously, uh, intellectually challenged, shall we say. Um, so constantly reading books, constantly asking people lots of questions, because I think, well, that's that's what life is for me. Yeah, it is. It's that constant learning, and I can. I'm just uh, being distracted now by the um, bookcase over there because I can see some some really great titles over there. But if you were to say to somebody, "Oh, you must. This is my go-to book. This is the book that you must read." What would it be? Um, Rework. Okay. By um, it's by the chaps that created Basecamp, which is an online project uh, management software. Um, and it's just a very different take on how to do business. You know, I'm, I'm quite, um, I like to be a bit Marmite. I feel like I'm a bit Marmite and challenge the norm. Um, and Rework is all about that. So, it, you know, it, it talks about a different way of approaching business. And for us, it's, it's, it's almost like it says it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The other one as well, which kind of ties into that theme is Company of One by Paul Jarvis. Um, I think we've gone on an adventure with Candle over the last five or six years and I think we're a lot more comfortable in our own skin about what we are and who we are and that's taken a that's taken a while i think there was lots of kind of outside influences in that early journey around who we should be you know so we had employees we you know when we first started it was how do we conquer the world how do we have this massive team and actually realized after two or three years to realize that actually it wasn't a good fit and you know it wasn't right for us so have we read company of one and it it basically talks about the future of businesses, small businesses. Um, and I think it allowed us to, it, it gave us permission to be who we want to be. Um, and since then, we, you know, Mark and I, who's our, uh, who's my fellow director and co-founder, um, we've done stuff like we only work four day weeks now, which has had a massive um, bearing on our personal lives. You know, I'm a better dad, I'm a better husband because of that. And um, I think Company of One kind of gave us the green light to say, you know what, it's okay to be you. And, and I know people talk about being the authentic version of you, and I think that was the, the kind of the trigger for that. So since then, feel a lot more comfortable in our own skin and what Candle Digital is as a business. Wow, I don't know where to start unpicking all that then, because so much of what you've said there resonates with me. Um, that permission how often we're looking for permission to do things our own way. Um, as you know, and I talk about it all the time on the podcast, it's all about being authentic. It's being our best self. It's about finding the people that fit with us, our, mm. our audience, but also that piece about being Marmite, accepting. And it took me a long time to realize, and I know it's something that I hear from my members in the Impact Club that we're talking about all the time, some people won't like mm. the way we work. Some people will not like my ideas. It mm. won't resonate with some people, but that's okay. They're not my people. But how long does it take to learn that? It is, yeah. And I think, I think we realise that if you don't have haters, you can't have lovers. 
Yeah. You know, I think you need to have a business which is um, something, some kind of emotional connection. If people don't have an emotional connection to it, that's okay. It's completely, it's absolutely fine. But I think perhaps it's the commercial pressures when you first start. You know, you start when we were as a business, we would do anything to do with online learning. It didn't really matter whether it was internal to an organisation, whether it was with commercial training providers. We were doing marketing lead tools. We we're doing anything because it's the commercial. You know, you've got. I think. You've got to try lots of different things and a scattergun approach, but only by doing that can you really nail your niche. And that's something we've gone on very much a kind of journey on over the last few years. Oh, I can remember somebody saying to me very early on, oh, you've got to have your USP straight away mm. and you've got to know exactly what it is. And yes, when I'm talking to people about personal branding, you've got to be known for something. But I do think at the start, it's about finding that mm. niche. And it took me a while and you continue to evolve, I think, over time, don't you, as as a business. And it's important that you have that niche and are able to articulate that niche and other people know what it is that you are known for, yeah. um, you know, the visible expert in. But I often say to clients as well, it's okay to do other things as well. It's just make sure that that's your shop window. Yeah. And, and I think... That's something that you've perhaps done over the years as well. Yeah, I mean, we've really nailed our niche in terms of who we work with, and that's small to mid-sized commercial training providers, which is very different to some of the other people in the market. But, you know, we still do work, which is outside of that. You know, if it works for us and it's um, it's a good fit. So you can, I think there's a big fear, um, particularly with people starting out, that oh, if I really nail down my niche, then I'm going, I'm, I'm going to... Um, limit my opportunities and there's going to be a real ceiling on what I can attract but actually people will work with you because they like you and they like your approach and the quality of your work even if it's not directly in that type box of work that you do so yeah we've we you know we work with a number of clients on stuff that's kind of outside our core but we really enjoy working with them and the stuff that we do with them has a lot of impact so that's that's cool and to be fair as well it allows us to play around with new things you know I think there's also a danger of you become um, it's too much of a conveyor belt in a sense. You don't get a chance to play and learn about how different things work in different sectors and different areas. So it gives us a real chance to, to, to learn from other areas. So it's that curiosity again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think that's a trait of, uh, I won't call myself an entrepreneur by any means, but uh, I don't think I have the, the kind of the risk appetite that a lot of entrepreneurs have. But someone said to me that entrepreneurs get bored quite easily. And I'm not always jumping onto the brand new thing, but I need to keep lots of plates spinning to, uh, mm. you know, to, to stay engaged and to stay interested. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm a bit of a magpie. You know, there's something shiny over there and I'm off and I've not really completed and finished what's over here. So that's something that, you know, I've been had a challenge with and had to be coached on over the years. I know it's an area that I'm sort of really conscious of. Something else you said there that I, I find fascinating and... It's something that I talk a lot about in my business is that that emotional connection. Mm. So I was I was working with some accountants last week presenting at an event and I was saying the statistics coming through now from Deloitte that say in twenty fifty, I think two thirds of roles will be soft skills. I don't mm. like the word soft skills. I think Simon Sinek calls it human skills, human skills intensive. And um, that doesn't quite sit somehow logically with 
a world where we're going more online and more digital. But for me, that emotional connection is still there, even if you're online and digital. And I know it's a huge part of what you do. So how do you get that emotional connection? Yeah, so I, I guess there's a couple of things on that. I think I would, I would echo your statement around um, the importance of human skills moving forward. I think, you know, with AI and robots coming to the fore, a lot of the non-human work will be replaced by that. So actually we've got to almost be more human. You know, that's where we can add a lot more value. Um, but in terms of the work that we do, um, emotion is very important in terms of the training uh, and the online training that we offer, uh, that we work with our clients to develop. Um, there's lots of theories out there about how people learn. So there's stuff around neuroscience, so the actual brain, then there's stuff around behavioral science, so, you know, for example, Pavlov. Mm. Uh, and then there's lots of other stuff around how people learn as a group. So mm -hmm. there's, but one of the, there's a guy, and if anyone's interested in, in um, training generally and is in the kind of learning profession, then read a book by Nick Shackleton Jones called How People Learn. Uh, and he's, he's, he's got a theory around kind of effective context, but it's, it's, it's all about um, the importance of emotion. Um, I think it's what he argues is that memory is constructed from how you felt about something and then you kind of create the memory around that so if I if you remember a very powerful learning moment from your career it might be the first time you did a presentation or the first time you did a um, led a client meeting or something like that it's quite emotionally charged mm -hmm. but you remember it it's quite evocative and so you remember how you felt and then you kind of create the memory from that. So he talks a little bit about that. Um, and I think that's that's something that we've really taken on board in terms of what we do. So the first thing that we always do when we're talking to a client is not talk about content, not talk about technology, but talk about the person. Who is the person that is going to be um, at the center of this process? So who, what is their what are their challenges what are their needs but what is this transformation that you're trying to take them on and then really trying to understand for example their context where they work in what's their daily life like because by creating that connection and that understanding of the user you're going to create a product and experience which is that they can connect with emotionally not just with their head but with their heart as well and i think once you've captured that that really helps so um how that kind of manifests itself and if we go back to Martin Meller, as an example, mm. our, our mutual friend, is one of the examples of how we kind of connected with that is we created characters through his course. So Martin has a, a great uh, product around how to help people with their confidence in having conversations around finance. So again, it's not about knowing finance, it's about how to have confidence. So that's an emotional kind of connection. So one thing that we did with that is rather than trying to pour knowledge into people's heads, which, which a lot of training mm. kind of providers fall into the trap of, it was how can we learn from four different people through that, through that training experience? So for example, one was um, a coffee shop owner, um, you know, that had a van at the end of the street. And then from the other side, one was a big property kind of mogul. Um, in charge of a large PLC. Now, that worked for us because he's teaching finance that applies to different types of sizes of business. 
but by having that person there you 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 start to create a bit of an, an emotional connection to that person and it's through saw stories as mm. you're saying yeah. there's a story weaving its way through the training so you're connecting with someone rather than just with content on a page so that would be an example of how we try to bring in the emotional side into into the training yeah so you're bringing it to life aren't you and we've all read that copy when somebody so so for me the absolute master of it and i think uh, i shared this with you uh, last time we had a coffee um a chap called david hyatt i think that's how you pronounce it from oh, yeah. the do lectures and i read his copy and i feel that he's had a spotlight into my world yeah. and i feel a bit silly saying this but I find it quite an emotional experience reading that copy and for me to have that power with your words and it's not actually the words it is the connection mm. and yes I know it is the words that are making the connection but it's that ability to step back and really look at what it is that the big picture is it's not about the words and what I'm going to say is well, I, I, I digress a little bit, but the guy who created TED Talk says it's about taking people on a journey and knowing what journey you're taking them on mm. and how you're going to change them after that 20 minutes of listening to the TED Talk. And it's the same with one of David's emails, I assume. It's the same with one of your training Absolutely, platforms. absolutely. Yeah, anyone that's taken one of um, one of the, the, the online learning experiences that our clients develop, it's, it's, it's all about transformation. They, they are at point A and they want to get to point B and that, that experience that you're putting through is a shortcut to that. So it, a lot of our, again, a lot of our clients kind of focus on the, when they first engage with online learning, it's all around content and tech, but actually the most important thing is the fabric in the middle, it's the learning experience. So what's the learning experience you're going to put people on that's going to have um, impact on them, that's going to help them connect, that's going to help them get the most from the, the transformation you're trying to help them with. So it's it's all about that experience piece like you've just said for the TED talk mm. um, and that's and storytelling for example is, a, is an important part of that yeah okay so how did we'll come back to that again in a minute but how did you come to set up was it a frustration with the offerings out there that made you think this isn't being facilitated by businesses yeah i mean it was so i spent 10 years working for a business that um developed teaching english as a foreign language training yeah. so i spent a lot yeah. of time seeing people um do short courses in teaching english and how to teach english and then helping them go to some amazing places like south korea and thailand and china and vietnam um, and it was amazing to see how this short course could have such a big impact on their life. It was almost like a gateway, you know, they would do this or a passport to travel. Um, and I thought, wow, this is really quite powerful, this stuff. Um, but I felt there was a big opportunity to raise the bar with some of the learning experiences that I, I had had online. So it was very much a, a kind of serendipitous moment when I met Mark. Um, he's a developer, so he's the he's the brains of the organisation. Being honest, um, but together um, we've gone on a bit of a journey, and we are started started Candle Digital at that point. And I've just through referral and through word of mouth, just kind of picked up clients along the way. People that we feel that have got to a point where they've wanted to explore online learning either for commercial purposes, particularly for example in COVID, it was a necessity. So people have come to us and say, right, you know. 
we're delivering this online, but I don't feel like we're making the most out of it. So we, we help them on that whole journey, really. Um, and just regards to candle digital, we kind of help people in three ways. So the first one is helping them create a blueprint for online learning. So it's very easy to dive into the execution. Let's just get started when actually, oh, hang on a minute. Let's just take a step back. Let's think about this. So we help them understand their aims, their ambitions, where they want to take the business and, and, and how online learning would fit in with that and create a plan for them. Um, subject to us being a good fit for that, then we'll help them execute it as well. So we develop the, the learning experience, the content, the technology. And then once they have that product, it's then how do you commercialize it and make the most out of it? I think one thing that we've learned over the last few years is the importance of starting marketing at the, at the start of the whole process. Right, okay, so yeah. Developing with customers rather than for customers. So finding people and, and sharing that story that you're doing it. Mm. So, you know, you, you can get feedback at quite an early stage, get a sense of who's interested, who isn't, and just try and find that what we call that product market fit. Um, so we help, we help people kind of commercialize it afterwards and help them with their roadmap because often what they go out with on day zero is very different to actually what it is in a year or two's time. So we help them through that whole process and partnerships is very much at the core of what we are and who we are, who, what we do. You know, I, I have a very personal experience of that and I, I've sort of partly shared this with you, but um, when, so as I said earlier, I was way down the road of an online offering when, when I first met you and I'd done a lot of training around it and I thought I knew what I wanted and that magpie had stopped me from actually putting it out there. And of course, in March two years ago, when um, all my face-to-face -face work sort of fell off a cliff, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to do something about it. And, and I suppose the positives were that I knew what online learning was yeah. and, and I'd gone a long way down the thought process and had a good idea of what I wanted. I just had to implement it. And I decided to set up a membership, which I'd always wanted. And... Um, I wanted to support people with the skills that I could see people needed through the pandemic particularly and at that stage we thought it was going to be short term but it was all about the visibility piece and about people working from home but still being seen mm. to their audience and you know, my work, whether you call it visibility, personal brand, it comes down to confidence at the end of the day. And I started off with the Impact Club and I spent a lot of time building a platform with training videos on it and um, w with an offering. But actually, it morphed into something that, honestly, I don't think maybe 25% of my members have ever even been on the platform yeah. because what it became up during that two years was a, a support network, a safe place, a peer group. We have group coaching every week. So actually it became something that I didn't ever set it out to be. And there wasn't a huge upfront investment because of the way I did it. but. There could have been, yeah. and actually now I've come out of we've come out of the pandemic. There is a challenge because it's no longer fit for purpose in some ways. So I'm now at that point of looking at it again. So I can absolutely see, you know, what, what how you support your clients in that. And think things, yeah, as you say, things evolve, and uh, 
But I imagine that through those two years of having those conversations, you've got a much better idea of um, your clients, you know, those real kind of personal relationships and the journeys that they're on and what they're going through. And I think it's never been easier to, to start something and, and trial something. So we, we, we align ourselves with a kind of minimal viable product approach. Um, which is what's the smallest thing that you can create just to test the market because you just don't know and and let's say it's usage is oxygen for ideas once you've got something out there and people are interacting with it from a from a marketing does it resonate with your audience does it when people um are kind of on that experience how do they interact with it what do they like what they don't like i think there's this there's certainly kind of imposter syndrome going on a little bit and I, i've been guilty of that myself you know, I still, I still, some of the projects we talk about, I think, ooh, um, is that right for us? And I think, well, just get over it, Andy. Just get on with it. <laughs> Give it a try. Well, I think we, we're certainly a lot more in that mindset now of just get it out there and see what happens and see what see what the feedback is because it'll evolve over time. Um, but as I say, I don't think it's ever been easier to do that now. And do you, do you tend to work with people from a blended learning point mm. of view as well? Is there, is, is it... Um, you know, do some people just go the online? Is there a blended learning side of things? How does that work for you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that comes out of the wash in the, the discovery process that we have. So um, we have lots of strings to our bow. You know, we can do lots of things, but it's about finding the right product for that audience, uh, for the client, and that client finding the right product for their audience. So it's, it's, not, it's definitely not one size fits all. And I think it's all about, again, understanding our client and their audience. So we've done a lot of self-paced online learning in the past i generally think there's a bit of a movement towards um blended learning or hybrid learning depending on what you want to call it um, and it's it's the the aspects of where there's a bit more in, involved um, a bit more commitment from the the person that's doing it i think we're we, in my personal view is that if your course is just content then it's going to be a bit of a struggle because from my perspective, content is a bit of a commodity now. This, mm. this, you know, is there too much content in the world? I don't know. But if I if I want content, I go to Google and I go to YouTube. Now that's not always the case. I mean, I've bought courses myself, which were just a series of videos, and they've actually been really impactful. But for the people that we work with, you've got to have a huge audience to be able to monetize that, mm. and you've got to have a lot of reach. So it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So, but we're seeing, and I think some of it's on the back of COVID. So I think people have just spent so long staring at a laptop over the last two years that, you know, they they want a bit more, um, you know, going in and out of Teams meetings or and Zoom meetings. That I think they need a bit more structure, and a, and, a, and they want a bit more human contact. It goes back to that emotion and that personal connection. Um, so what we're doing a lot more of now is um, blended learning, where it's involving on-demand e-learning, but it's mixed with um, group calls. So it's a really powerful blend because they still have some autonomy over their study. They're still mm. um, learning learning the, what we call the input, the, the, the theory, as it were, during the week. But actually, they come together as a group with a bunch of peers once a week and they're sharing stories. They're sharing how what they found um, has worked well, what hasn't worked well. They're implementing into the workplace during that week and coming back with stories. And, and also, from a tutor perspective, they have chance to... Uh, dive deep onto certain subjects. They have a chance to tailor the rest of the course, depending on it. So it's a very, very powerful format, um, and it's something that it's something that we firmly believe in. It's something we're moving more and more towards. Um, it just has so many benefits.
had a bit of a, a light bulb moment on this. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, I was part of a group coaching program and uh, there were 10 of us, I think. I think there were actually 15 of us on it initially. And I was a bit disappointed because initially I wanted one-to-one. -one. Yeah. I wanted one-to-one -one coaching because, um, well, that's what I wanted. And um, I went on this program and the most powerful thing for me was one morning sat listening to somebody being coached on the program. <laughs> and honestly, initially I thought, oh, I can't think of anything more boring than listening to somebody else being coached about their challenges and that probably says a lot about me <laughs> and um but actually this this issue this person was having i just did not have the awareness of that being a challenge and yeah. all of a sudden being curious and opening my mind and learning so much from other people and mm. it's the old you don't know what you don't know mm. and people coming up with um, issues that I'd not even thought about but also that shared oh gosh I'm not on my own in this yeah. I understand this so I think that group learning is incredibly powerful and and the other side of the blended is funnily enough going back to the do lectures and David Hyatt I've bought two of their courses and it's not that they're boring hmm. I love them have I completed them? They're sat there when I have a moment because there's no accountability. So it yep. is that pure self-learning. And I've just said, I think he's one of the best content writers, yeah. but it's still sat there. And life gets in the way, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I think there's, there's something to be said about having, it's the reason why people have personal trainers, you know, mm. if they want to get fit, it's, you know, you could eat quite easily go for a run around the park or whatever, but sometimes you just need someone to, help you cajole you along and give you uh, that role of um, guiding you through the process. So that, and I think it's interesting how, you know, as a subject matter expert in what you do, if you're kind of helping people in that transformation, that role's changing a little bit, or not changing, but I think people are realizing it's not just about trying to pass on your knowledge, it's about curating. So it's bringing in lots of other resources from around the world. It's about putting it in a, in a, in a pathway that makes sense to that learner. It's about giving the opportunity to connect with other people in the same position. Um, but also I think as well, it's about doing it at a pace where there's some accountability. So yeah. every week they've got to check in and you don't want to be the one that has not done the homework, you know, we know <laughs> what it's like. Um, but also as well, having a, having a pace to it or a certain cadence to these things, I think helps with, you know, reflection. You know, having, you, having space between sessions to actually think about implementing this stuff and then actually practicing it. You know, one of the key things with all this stuff is that you can, you can tell people what they need to do but, or, or what they should be doing, but they need to go and do it, you know. And without that, then, you know, so what we try and advocate is in some of the programs that we've created is that, you know, between weeks one and two, go ahead and into your workplace and do X, Y, and Z and mm -hmm. see what happens. You know, that could be quite light. It could be you know, for example, to do with well-being, just go and have a conversation with someone you've never had a conversation with in your workplace, you know. Mm. It's that kind of thing that people need to practice, to, to, to develop skills, to change behaviours and attitudes. You need to do, you can't just consume. Yeah, it's that experiential learning, isn't it? And, mm. and also, for me, I mean, as I've said, most of my work boils down to confidence. Mm. And the line I always use is, it's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. So intellectually, 
you know nothing that i do is is challenging um and it, it's certainly not rocket science and most of it people have heard it before um i was working with some lawyers uh, a couple of weeks ago some partners at a conference and i was saying this is some of the most simple information that you will take in today but are you doing it mm. and are you doing it consistently and have you got the self-awareness and it goes back to the gym or anything like that we know what we should be doing it's just implementing yeah. that yeah. consistently on a regular basis and for me that accountability is is so important there and that challenges well, well of breaking it down into small chunks and saying because I think there is I heard a wonderful quote a couple of years ago that said actually we don't lack motivation we lack clarity of what the next step is and yep. I think with online learning that is paced like that if it's broken down in a way that you say okay I don't need to get to Z I just need to get to B yep. and if a platform can do that for you then happy yeah. days you mentioned um, when we first started this chat, you, you talked about James Clear's book, mm. Atomic Habits, and I can't remember the exact quote, so you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's something that you don't rise to the level of your ambitions, you fall to the level of your systems, and that's something that's that you know came across that quote when I was reading the book, and it's it's really powerful. It's very, you know, you have all the motivation and impetus uh, to get going with this stuff, whatever it is in life. It's not you know not just linked to online learning, um, but you tend to fall back to your the systems that you have in place and so it's as much about through that learning experience giving them the systems through that process so that they continue to progress and reach that and remind them of that transformation that they're seeking and supporting them along that process as it actually is giving them the tools to do it yeah and i mean i, I talk about we, we reference this the atomic habits book so much in the membership but um the number of other experts I've heard reference that book mm. is incredible. And you know, we hear, we, we throw away books, uh, throw away lines like um, uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, or Stephen Covey. But I honestly believe that Atomic Habits is one of those classics because everybody has bought into it. That t Taking the line that you've said um, a step further, he also says that um, don't commit to what you can do on your best day, which is yeah. what we all do. Commit to what you can do on your worst day. And again, that was another, wow, Yeah, I get that. I think the, the key thing without that book that it recognises is that change takes time, but to, to and it needs consistent effort. And I think that it's just at the crux of what it is, you know, so whatever, I'm trying to, apply that approach now to for example LinkedIn which I've been quite you know marketing's always I'm sure it's very typical of many kind of small businesses it's always at the bottom of the list oh it's right I'll make sure I'll do this by the end of the day and it, it kind of never happens so we're, we're trying to apply that approach to to how we market our business as well and be a bit more proactive about it but that comes down to systems so having a structure every week um, coming up with a format that works and it's for us we've only been trying it for like a month or two and that, that's already having results but it's it's more down to the the system rather than having particular expertise around how LinkedIn works or the algorithm, all that kind of stuff. That helps, but that, I just think that optimizes it. Ultimately, you've got to put stuff out there as an example. Uh, so somebody once introduced me at um, 
when I was a speaker at a conference that said, Deborah and personal branding, it's a bit like your tax return. We all know we should be doing it, <laughs> yeah. but it's bottom of the pile. And I thought, hmm, not sure uh, I, I like that introduction. But it is the thing that, that we leave to last, and LinkedIn is another one. But that's all part of that, building your profile, building mm. your reputation, um, all the things that James Clear talks about, all the things that we're talking about when it comes to online learning. It takes time and mm. we're living in a world now. I was trying to explain to my son the other week that you didn't have Netflix and the whole season on there. You had to wait one a week, you know, it dropped yeah. every Sunday night. And he just looked at me as if I'd, I'd dropped off another planet because it's that instant gratification, isn't yeah. it? But um, anything worth having takes time. And my greatest frustration is somebody comes to me and says, Deborah, can I work with you? I've got an interview next week or I've just missed out on, you know, my dream role. And if it just started six yeah. months ago yeah. or five years ago or whenever. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's the same with so many things, isn't it? Yeah, we, we, you know, when you talk about that, I think about some of our, our clients, that are very close clients that we work with and and the training the covid um, pandemic had a massive impact on the training as you know it, it just devastated some providers overnight really but i always think back to some of our clients that that got involved with it just before the six months prior so there's one one an excellent business um here in halifax that we're very close with and they um took the time and effort and and thought proactively about right we need to get on board with this stuff and had they not had that, I think the business would be in very different shape now. So you just don't know what's coming. But I think if it if it feels right, crack on with it. You know, that's <laughs> that's our view. And I think certainly with, with training providers, online learning is not something you can, it used to be something you could ignore. But I feel, I feel there's quite a lot out there. And this is why we see, we see lots of opportunity and potential in what we do is that some of them are still trapped in the, for them online learning is Zoom calls and that's it. Mm. And actually, you know, this this moving towards a blended learning approach, which you, which we're talking about a lot at the moment, is a way to really untap some of the potential in their business. And so we're quite excited to to find some new businesses that we can help in that field. You know, I've not thought about this in, in the context of, of chatting to you, but um, during the pandemic, um, my, my son Oscar and I, we started um, deciding to develop his Spanish further with right. Duolingo. And... Uh, my goodness, we became so competitive with it. <laughs> yeah. And I was just thinking about the consistency that you talked about there and how, again, I mean, gosh, they must invest so much in the psychology behind mm. it, mustn't they? But the gamifying it, and if yeah. you'd have said to me that I would be attracted by the gamifying, I would have said, what a load of rubbish, you know, absolutely yeah. not. But because I'm so competitive and competitive with myself as well, yeah. and <laughs> it was one of his, when one of his pals joined us in this little group as well and i thought i'm not being beaten by a 14 year old boy on this yeah. you know and uh, that upped my game but it was interesting because the free version there were limits between bit about how much you could do in a certain time and so we paid for it for the first couple of weeks that you could and we were flying through it but as soon as we went back to the unpaid version it was really clever it was only subtle changes yeah. but it restricted that way of learning and it must all come down to the psychology of it yeah. really and you know what we 
we ended up not being as involved with it. So, yeah. It's a, it's a gamification is a really powerful tool. I think it's one of those things that has to be used quite appropriately. You know, so it's it definitely taps into the, the the psychological aspects. But I think it's about finding. There's lots of tools like that you can kind of leverage. Um, we, we in some of the stuff where do we doing a lot around kind of nudges. What's that? So, for example, um, as you're going through this this online transformation, then you get sent, for example, email nudges or SMS nudges, and, it's been, and it can be as little as just checking in, yeah. seeing how you're getting on. But as you say, we've got so many competing priorities for our attention, and it's about just being back on the radar. So it might be, for example, a prompt. So if they've learned something in the last week, or we've, you know, there's been a subject that has been discussed, and it's like, well. How are you getting on with that? How have, you, how have you implemented it? Have you had that conversation with the person in, in, your, in your office about this? You know, so it's all about trying to keep these things top of mind. And, and again, if you're changing, as I say, you're changing behaviours, changing habits and attitudes, that takes time and that takes practice and it takes um, commitment and involvement. And, and you're kind of competing that for attention uh, as, a, as a training provider. So think, I think a lot of training providers think, or um, I think a lot of training providers I'm missing opportunities by focusing on a very discreet intervention. So even on the back of the pandemic, after the pandemic, you know, which enforced digital transformation on a lot of uh, organizations, some of them are creeping back into one day courses, two day course. And it's like, well, if you really want to affect that transformation, it needs to be more than just a very formal experience. It needs to be more about how you can connect, how you can connect them with peers and learners and support them, what we call longitudinally, so over time. So how are you supporting that person over the next 12 months rather than just over the next two days to help them embed whatever you've taught into the workplace? And so, so for example, nudges is a good way of doing that. Quite a subtle, um, simple way of doing that, but it's uh, it's... It's another tool in the armory, and, and gamification could fall into that as well. Particularly if it's quite a competitive field, and it and it works for the subject matter. Yeah. Um, I think that can be quite uh, a good thing to tap in as well. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I would have thought different people respond in different ways mm. too, mm. and that comes back to that emotion. And even yeah. though we're using AI here, uh, we, <laughs> you, <laughs> are using AI here and talking about AI and it's actually about people again yeah. because i know that i get some of those nudges and i get so cross yeah because they're coming too frequently yeah. or they're in a language that doesn't appeal to me and i go and find my way of unsubscribing yeah. yet there are others that i virtually look forward to the nudge coming in yeah i think oh where, where, where's that gone so but that's not about ai that's about human beings isn't it and behavior yeah, it's about understanding your audience understanding mm -hmm. and, and being able to empathize with them um, and once you've done that and i think i think the other thing as well is making sure there's enough data around mm -hmm. that and you've got you've got a view on that and they've got the tools to be able to change it to see what happens and again that comes back to that minimal viable product approach mm -hmm. making sure that you can iterate quite rapidly to evolve it based on the feedback that you're getting back that's it, it, i think it's critical to any kind of product initial product success but then ongoing product success as well so you've got children. Mm, three, yeah. Yeah. So I get in trouble for coaching Oscar at home. He'll say, you're coaching me now, or yeah. you know, a roll of eyes, and this is work stuff. When, I can't quite remember how old yours are, but um, do you implement some of this when it comes to homework and guiding um, them? Um, well, I guess one of the, the examples of so my, my kids are I've got twin boys who are six and I've got a daughter who's eight so we had a, 
a very fun COVID period, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, trying to spin all those plates like anyone else. But an example of that, I've not really thought about it like this, but we are doing it. But um, we have a children's map next to the dining room table. So me and my wife, me, we met um, in Australia. She's Dutch, so we're quite an international family. Um, we're going over to Holland next week to see the in-laws. But the amount of conversations we have about that map is is incredible and so we could have had a lovely picture of the family but for us it's like well what can we do just to start having a little impact on them in terms of their own understanding of the world and the amount of conversations so we're now talking about ukraine and russia and you know i've been to china so we talk a bit about chinese culture and we met in australia so we talk about that a little bit uh, and it's really it's just having something there which is provoking conversation so i haven't really thought about it like that um but yeah we are kind of implementing some of that stuff at home um, perhaps unconsciously really yeah and that makes me think and i've never thought about this but how it's finding that hook that that grabs people isn't it and um I had many years at Old Trafford mm. as their, their media manager at cricket and one of the things that we were working on at the time was cricketing education and how powerful sport can be and how with just taking cricket as an example from a, a geography point of view you've got all the different test match uh, nations but from a maths point of view how many runs you've scored but how many balls there are in an over yeah. how many overs there are in an innings and um you know language skills and there are so many different vehicles that you can use to bring that learning in yeah and I th I th what i love about the ch I'm, so i've become a football coach as well recently i'm not I'm not a huge fan of football but i stuck my hand up but it, I, I love um learning about learning from the children, so they are the they are the best. Uh, uh, if they're not interested in it, they just get up and walk away. So you get, you know, with some adults, it takes a while to get feedback. With children, you just get feedback straight away. This isn't working. That's so you can kind of learn your craft. And already after six, seven weeks of doing this, I kind of know what works, what doesn't work, what format works. And I think if you if you're kind of receptive to that feedback, it's 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 great. So so yeah, working with I found working with kids, I've learned a lot about almost like learning theory, just in practice, mm. just by observing kind of what happens with them. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure if it's part of Carol Dweck's work on growth mm. mindset, but that learning to learn as well. Yeah. As a parent, there are certain things that you find that your child might have talent in, and therefore they find it easy or yeah. easier. And it worries me that they'll get to a point of what will happen when they can't do it because they haven't learned those learning skills, yeah. those problem solving skills. And, you know, in football, we've seen, I mean, the, again, like cricket, you know, we, we have discussions about flags or um, capital cities. Yeah. And I know that my son knows it all through football. And, yeah, yeah. and um, but that how we learn is incredibly powerful and you know there were some of the boys that played football with him when they were younger that were really talented 
um, and it was natural talent, but they weren't necessarily the ones that would listen to the coach yeah. and weren't necessarily coached. Yet there are other boys now that have come through that have listened to the coach, that have worked hard, that have wanted to develop, that have actually probably nudged ahead now yeah. of those with real talent. And you see that a lot, don't you? I think people like David Beckham, he will always say, it wasn't raw talent, it was all the mm. hours I put in, that consistency. Yeah, but I think you took, you took an interesting point there around motivation motivation and about what what you want to do and what you want to get out of it I think some of the challenges you have in in workplace training that you know that we get involved in is how do you make people care about this stuff mm. particularly you know for some some people have to do compliance training which can you know around legal or health and safety and uh, which can be quite dry and difficult to do but it's the way you do it is by understanding that that person and trying to make that emotional connection and, mm -hmm. and once they have that, once you, so we talk about kind of creating experiences that people can really get emotionally involved in. If they're very keen and they already have that, then training actually might not be the answer. What you might want to do is just give them a load of resources, support them through that, but get, kind of get out their way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a real argument for that. And so it's sometimes I think we call it the kind of classroom assumption where you've got a performance problem, therefore you need to go on a course. And, mm. that, that, and I think that's that's born from we sat in a classroom for 15 years when we were kids. Mm. So it's like, oh, I, and I think that, that carries on through. But there's actually an argument to say that actually, you know what, you just get out of the way. If someone's really keen and very interested, give them the stuff that's going to support them in in their own development. So there's some there's some interesting kind of dynamics of that. But again, it all comes down to understanding the person at the center of it and having a, a real good conversation with them understanding their context and being able to empathize with that yeah i can remember i've signed up for courses and couldn't wait to start you know mm. you, you sign up on a thursday and it doesn't start till the following monday and you're desperate to get going um yeah other people might be quite happy and that that yeah. again comes down to personality doesn't it but and and somebody else said to me that these days and, and you hinted at it earlier that there is so much content out there yeah. um i had this conversation with um a, a va i'm working with she said have, have have you got content i said i've got more content than <laughs> yeah. you know i've got too much content in some ways it's about taking that content and um curating it so that it, it it works but I do think I see my role sometimes certainly within the membership as holding a place for people absolutely from a coaching point of view mm. but as a facilitator yeah. and facilitating you know we've already talked about keep pointing over even though it's a podcast I keep pointing over to a, the the bookshelf with atomic habits but it's finding those nuggets of information because the one thing that most people don't have is time yeah and being able to pull all that together for them in a manageable format is incredibly powerful yeah it's about, it's about putting the relevant content in front of the relevant people at the relevant time and you're but you're doing that work for them you're doing the heavy lifting it, they could probably find that stuff elsewhere but they don't have the time they don't they don't have the understanding of the subject to work out what's really important and what isn't and being able to filter that so yeah that's a i think that's a key part of the of the process and the, and the role as a as a trainer facilitator so i'm just thinking as i'm sat here you must have i mean you know you've worked with 
so many clients over the last few years. So what have you now become a bit of an expert in that you never thought you would be? I mean, your financial um, knowledge must be off the scale having <laughs> done Martin's work, but what I'm, I'm not asking you to name names, but what areas have you become an expert in having developed courses for people? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really, really interesting insights that um, we have. So we certainly the finance through uh, Martin and his course, it's, that's, that's helped us practically in terms yeah. of our business. I can now know what a balance sheet is, for example, after all, these, all this time. Um, we've been involved in stuff like safeguarding, mm. which is a, obviously a really important subject. So, but it, it's it really uh, may, lifted my awareness about um, the challenges around that. And certainly, actually, it made me appreciate some of the stuff that teachers get involved in. You know, I think teachers often get a bad rap in schools, you know, um, and I think, you know, the, some of the stuff they get involved in is, is unbelievable. Also being, becoming involved in football as a coach mm -hmm. and I've also recently become involved in scouts as well. That safeguarding piece is something that's very applicable to me and, I, you know, having gone in there now, I understand that. Um, well, we've learned about wind energy, we've learned about resilience um, and well-being. Um, career development is a very interesting one. The one, one of the one of the clients we're working on at the moment is a, a very niche specialist subject area on a an architectural design software. Wow! <laughs> so we, we haven't got to the to the bit where actually um, creating the content yet. That, that's to come up in the next few weeks. But I'm I'm sure I'll be an expert in that as well. But luckily enough, my brother is an arch, uh, an architect, so <laughs> I'm sure he'll be looking to get involved in that as well, so he can uh, broaden his skill set. So yeah, you just get involved in so many different things, and but I think it's at the core of it. You know, it's it's. The, the subject's very interesting, but actually it's, it's all about the approach. And that approach mm -hmm. is um, for those people that um, really want to have a, a big impact on their learners. And that's all the clients we work with because we, we screen them, you know. We, we want to choose people, we want to work with people that really want to make an impact. Is We've got a real desire to help people's confidence, um, make them perform better and, and make them feel better at what they're actually doing so it's it's really nice to help them kind of craft those experiences and and often we find that some of the stuff that we advocate ends up being transferred into their you know face-to-face -face training as well or their coaching sessions so it's just very nice to be involved with people that want to facilitate change as much as we do on on the training businesses as well brilliant I could talk to you all day Andy thank you so much for being my guest and um you know, I go back to that very first time I met you and I, I know it's a cliche people by people, but I can remember sitting there coming out of that meeting thinking, why didn't I meet him 12 months ago? Because I think from a per personal branding point of view, you're just one of those people that you're so passionate about what you do, but um, you're just a really great person and it makes people want to work with you and I hope that has come across in the podcast as well. Well thanks Deborah it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at do underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, The Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. If 
you've enjoyed this episode of On Brand With, I would so appreciate it if you would rate, review and subscribe to help other people know we exist. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to On Brand With. It was hosted by Deborah Ogden and produced by me, Anthony Short. This has been an A Short Stories production.